Welcome to the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that helps your business grow smarter by making artificial intelligence approachable and actionable. You'll hear from top authors, entrepreneurs, researchers, and executives as they share case studies, strategies, and technologies that have the power to transform your business and your career. My name is Paul Reitzer. I'm the founder of Marketing AI Institute, and I'm your host. Thanks for joining us for episode 20 of the Marketing AI Show, the podcast that makes artificial intelligence approachable and actionable for marketers and business leaders. I'm your host, Paul Reitzer. He is my co-host, Mike Kaput. What's up, Mike? How's it going? Good. Mike is the chief content officer at Marketing Institute and also my co-author for our book, Marketing Artificial Intelligence, AI Marketing, and the Future of Business, which is available in print, digital, and audio which was an adventure. I did record yeah. the audio <laughs> 18 hours in the studio. <laughs> let me know how it goes. I will not listen to it. So if you listen to the audio, let me know. All right. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Persado. Persado is the only motivation AI platform that generates personalized communication to immediately motivate individuals to engage and act. Organizations that use Persado benefit from an extensive customer motivation knowledge base enabling them to hyper-personalize their communications at scale. Clients who incorporate Persado's innovative motivation AI increase conversions by an average of 41%, unlocking millions in unrealized revenue. I, I wouldn't mind doing that. <laughs> we need to be using Persado to motivate people to buy books and online courses and come to events. I agree. <laughs> so check out Prasado, uh, Prasado.com for motivation AI. And thanks again to Prasado for being a partner with Marketing Institute. So we got a lot to cover today. We're going to do it in about 40 minutes uh, or less, maybe a few more. Um, let's get into the show. Great. Uh, we've got a few really exciting topics. I want to kick us off. Um, we're going to take a few topics, a few interesting developments, things in the news. Um, there's a ton going on in the world of AI. And I would say the past few months especially have been particularly crazy and exciting, which we're going to kind of dive into. But first off, um, so actually last week and on October 4th, the White House actually released what it calls an AI Bill of Rights. So this is a document put together by uh, the science team on the at the White House that offers a blueprint of these five principles that they have identified. And these are supposed to guide the design, the use, and the deployment of automated systems. And so we'll kind of dive into what those five principles are, but at a really high level, they've outlined principles like developing safe and effective systems, um, putting in place protections for uh, algorithmic discrimination to prevent that, ensuring data privacy, providing enough notice and explanation of how AI tools are being used to consumers, and then also offering human alternatives, um, considerations and fallbacks if something goes wrong or if consumers want the option to do so. So before we dive in, it's really important to kind of note that they're actually the AI Bill of Rights. It's not in any way legally or otherwise binding uh, from the White House. But it, I, I do think despite there is a lot of commentary, rightly so online, that you know perhaps it could have more teeth, it could be expanded 
But I actually do think we both agree it's a really important and interesting step forward um, with the government actually getting involved in how artificial intelligence works, how consumers engage with it, and how um, it impacts our daily lives. So that that's kind of what immediately jumped out to me. We could dive into each of these principles, but I think the first point I would have is at a high level, this is definitely an important development regardless of you know, how much of it actually ends up being implemented into law. Like, what did you think about that? Yeah, I mean, when I saw it, for sure, I put it on LinkedIn right away. And I think what I said was not legislation, you know, not anything formal, but it it is a, an important step forward. I think what concerns me and what we often talk about the Institute and, um, you know, some of our content, and I think even in the book, we have a chapter on responsible AI, is consumers are certainly aware that their data is uh, absorbed by tech companies. Like they, they know their data is going to use, whether it's informing an algorithm within TikTok or, you know, what predicting purchase behavior, like they know that the data is out there and that it is being used by brands and technology companies to make predictions about their behavior and to drive actions. I think generally people would get that concept. How it does it and how the AI works is a very abstract thing to even uh, business leaders we talk to. Mm -hmm. So to the average consumer who is targeted by AI, you know, to drive either personalized ads or communications or offers of promotions, or, you know, even when it starts working into making predictions uh, related to health or finance or wellness or risk, you know, insurance, uh, mortgages, like there's all these ways AI is just everywhere in our lives today. And the average consumer has no clue, like mm -hmm. how that stuff works or that it's even there underlying the technology. And so I don't think it's reasonable to believe that consumers can, can really understand this and take control at a, at a wide scale level of their own, like protect themselves basically from the AI. So then the next step is you rely on the companies that are building and using the AI to make decisions that are always in the best interest of consumers. And let's be honest, that is not going to happen. So while tech companies can set their own guidelines and put guardrails up to protect the consumer, at the end of the day, they have, they have uh, financial goals they are also trying to achieve. And there is often a, 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 a imbalance internally within these companies about finance over human good and well-being, I guess, yeah. AI for good. And we've seen this play out in, you know, some pretty high profile things like Google and um, like Target, did, you know, the historic example of Target, you know, using some data to make some predictions about um, customers that backfired. Uh, but the, it's, you know, it's everywhere. And so I, I just, I feel like government needs to get involved. I'm not necessarily a big government guy, like everybody, you know, government should come in and do everything. But I, I don't think in this case that the tech companies alone are going to solve this. I don't think they have the motivation to solve this at a very high level. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think what people should do is read it. Like we're not going to spend the next 45 minutes talking about the bill of rights and going through, like it's a blueprint for, they're, they're basically laying out what it could be. Mm -hmm. I think everybody should read it or at least read an in-depth summary of it and see what they're trying to do. And I think what you should do is, connect it to your company. Like our belief is that every brand and every tech company should have like a, an ethics guidelines, an AI ethics guidelines. So right. if you're a brand buying AI technology or leveraging it on the data you consume, 
you should have rules in place that guide your team on how you're going to use what AI enables because it gives us superpowers. And we have to be able to have guidance for our teams internally about how we will use this. Now, the same goes for if you're building it. I think we use the example of Adobe in the book mm. and their ethics policies around the development of AI technology. And it's this stuff is moving so fast. The guardrails are going to have to keep being rebuilt and moved and rebuilt and moved because things that weren't even possible three months ago, we'll talk about some of it in, in the next topics, things that weren't possible are now possible. And now the question is, well, well do we use image generation technology? Do we use video generation technology? Do we create synthetic reps? Like all these things that most companies don't even know you can do. And so that's where I think it's just critical that not only is the government stepping in and saying, okay, we, we need a point of view on this and we need to give some guidance. I think the action step for marketers and business leaders is you cannot punt this, like push it forward for a few more years. Like, oh, we'll get to the AI stuff. It's, it's too late then. Like you need to be thinking from the ground up, how do we ethically apply AI to what we do? And you have to have the, the consumer, has to be human-centered, has to have the consumer in mind in every decision that's made. So that, I mean, that's kind of my high level takeaway from this without getting into all the details, yeah. is the impact for the individual brand and for the tech companies building it is the importance of thinking about the ethical use of AI, responsible use of AI in your company. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that when you say business leaders should go read this, it's not only interesting and important to read, it's actually, I think, a decent set of guidelines for what you need to be thinking about in your own company. You and I both were just at the Digital Now conference in New Orleans. And I remember when we ran a workshop there with a bunch of different nonprofit and business and association leaders one of the first questions that people started asking was really, really difficult and interesting questions around ethics and the morality and um, the responsible use of this technology. So regardless of what type of business you run, I mean, these five principles, first off, safe and effective systems, you should be protected from unsafe or ineffective systems. I mean, business leaders need to understand not all of these systems work in the way they're intended. There's always the possibility for them to go wrong. Um, even things too, like number two, algorithmic discrimination protections. We have seen many different examples of algorithms that actively or accidentally discriminate against certain groups, certain data types. And a lot of it's unintentional. It's not even built with that intention in mind, but it's on the brand to figure out exactly how these things are working and impacting things like your brand equity, your business operations. I mean, legal, there's plenty of legal ramifications. And then just very quickly, things like data privacy, understanding how um, explanations of how the tool itself actually works. Oftentimes the people building it can't always 100% even tell you what is going on behind the scenes. And then last but not least, it, the, one of the principles is about human alternatives. If possible, giving consumers the ability to opt out of some of the results of these technologies. These are all front and center issues that brands are going to have to worry about very, very soon if they're not already. And that that one in particular caught my attention. The opting out, I, I, I think it, it it the in principle what they're trying to do is important. Unfortunately, I think what will happen is it'll be like the cookies, like everyone just yeah. has allow, like fine. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like 
when, um, you know, if an example here of it being applied would be like Facebook or Instagram, where you can opt out of ad targeting, like personalized ads, you're still going to get ads. They just right. won't be relevant to you. So you, would you rather see relevant ads or <laughs> irrelevant ads? Right, right. But again, that's why it's like, it's an important step. It puts the conversation out there. It sort of stakes these five core areas as things that we should be thinking about. And like you said, you should be considering these in your business. And what we hear from, um, you know, like Tim Hayden and Chris Penn, like people we talk to about privacy, uh, Cal Adube, but Pandata, what I always get told is, um, just assume the regulations are coming. Like mm -hmm. you should just put best practice in place now to make your AI human centered and just assume the restrictions are going to be there. Um, we had a speaker at Macon, Gemma, who was uh, mm. from Europe. And sh I was saying, like, wasn't it harder to do AI? And she goes, no, no, no. Like, we have the benefit because we already have the restrictions. So we're mm. building our AI with more restrictive oversight and governance, which actually is great because you're going to have to do it in the U.S. eventually. We're already there. Right. And so her point was, like, it actually makes things easier because there's some guardrails in place. So. Yeah, I just, again, as you think about scaling the use of AI, if you're in a bigger enterprise and this is like top of mind, this is the kind of stuff you've got to be thinking about from the ground up and figuring out who within the organization needs to be involved in these conversations because AI adoption is not just a bunch of individual use cases. To truly scale it, you're going to have to become like an AI emergent company where AI is infused into everything. And there's going to be a lot of hard decisions that are going to have to be made. And, and those decisions are going to have to be reevaluated as the tech keeps evolving. I think that's a really good lead into the next topic here, um, because that idea of AI emergent companies, how do you become an AI-driven business, an AI-driven company? We found a really great interview um, released uh, just a couple of weeks ago with from McKinsey, where McKinsey interviewed Dr. Kai-Fu Lee. And if you don't recognize that name, um, he is actually a world-leading AI expert. He's an author and an investor. And he gave this really, really in-depth and great interview on how business leaders can actually become, uh, drive their companies to become AI-first, AI-emergent companies, regardless of, you know, if they have historically been a traditional, a more traditional business. And you and I both have been familiar with Dr. Lee's work, his book, AI Superpowers, China, Silicon Valley, and the New World Order. That I remember that, you know, a couple of years ago being extremely formative for both of us as we were learning more um, about artificial intelligence and building out the institute. Um, he has since gone on to become uh, chairman and CEO at Cinnovation Ventures. And so he actually runs, I believe it is out of China, um, a firm that backs hundreds of AI companies. So very much like, say, an Andrew Ng, he is very on the forefront of actually investing in real-world applications of AI in the corporate world. So I thought some of these answers he gave and points he brought up were really, really interesting. Um, I would highly recommend, we'll link in the show notes to the entire interview. Business leaders of all types should absolutely read this um, as soon as possible. It's really, really important. But what really jumped out to me are a couple of things. Um, the first is he is he pinpoints exactly something that we've been seeing in the last few months, which is we are once again at an incredible turning point in the field of AI, especially as it relates to business. So Kai-Fu Lee actually points out that he thinks we're at a similar stage today to where we were in 2012 when Jeff Hinton and his research team 
uh, blew the doors off the problem of computer vision. So Jeff Hinton and his team were one of many teams that cracked the code on deep learning and really driving a decade of innovation in artificial intelligence, specifically through teaching machines how to recognize objects, uh, identify objects. Now, Kai-Fu Lee thinks we're in the same spot, but in terms of language, he actually thinks that some of the recent developments in language AI, natural language processing, he says, quote, we're about to enter a second golden period of AI investment thanks to this. And I think we've seen that in some recent conversations we've had with some really knowledgeable people. Um, Paul, what's your what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like Kaifu Lee's AI Superpowers book was very influential for me to get like a global, like macroeconomic view of where AI was going. And then he has AI 2041 was his most recent book. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's definitely one of those people I, I look at as one of the main thought leaders, people who are actually doing it and seeing tons of stuff. So I, when he talks, I listen, like, it, you know, it's somebody I really pay attention to. So a few thoughts, I, um, I definitely agree on the language thing. And we've been saying that for a while I, I've said on stage, like if I was just, if I just ran a billion dollar fund, I would just invest in language tech. Like I, I truly believe that you could just focus on that and make it domain specific. And there's just so many applications for language. So that, that is key. And as you'd alluded to, like, we talk to a lot of people, a lot of it sort of off the records, like research labs, major tech companies and stuff that we can't really get into. And, and what, what, what I generally would guide people is like, if you look at like a Dolly two or stable diffusion, or we're going to talk about, you know, Meta's make a video in a minute you look at this stuff and you your mind is blown. Like how in the world does that stuff work? Just assume that the research labs are already 12 months ahead of what you're seeing. So the stuff they're releasing today probably was in a pretty advanced stage a year ago. So what's happening is all of the sudden it feels like in the last like five months, we've hit this tipping point where the AI is very, very real and getting getting better at an exponential rate. So a lot of like the image generation tech, the language generation tech, it's relatively new, but it's advancing so fast. And again, when we talk to the people who are building this stuff or working in the labs on this stuff, the things they're talking about, I wasn't hearing a year ago. Mm. Like there, and, and even, I mean, there's some public stuff, like you can go follow some of the open AI people, um, you know, some of the the uh, deep mind people, like they're, they're much more regularly talking about things like AGI, Like they're, they're almost talking about like these major leaps that are coming are inevitable and near term. So and, AGI meaning artificial general intelligence, so right. the ability of a machine to do everything and anything at a human or beyond super level. Human level. Yeah. 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 Which is why OpenAI exists. It's why DeepMind exists. Like there are these people within AI who believe this is imminent and possible. And the chatter around its imminence seems to be accelerating. So again, I'm just like, I, you know, I'm not looking at a study where like somebody changed it. Oh, within three, it's, I'm just telling you, like we talk to a lot of people and you can follow a lot of these top AI researchers and the conversations are happening very quickly that we are heading towards some pivotal moment in AI's development. Now, I, what I will say is whether that happens or not, 
And whether we even get to like sentience where these language models understand that they exist and like this thing people worry about. And there was a big article in Washington Post a few months back about the Google researcher who thought their language model Lambda had become sentient. Yeah. What we're saying is like, it doesn't even matter. Like if we get to AGI, doesn't matter in the near term because the language models are so good. And they're going to get dramatically better as the machine learns to reason, as it develops like a reasoning ability to understand what it's actually being asked and stuff. It's not sentient itself. It's not AGI. It doesn't need to be. But these language models are getting so good, so fast that, I mean, to look out a year, two years, three years from now, um, it's really hard to fathom how advanced things are going to get. And so when Kai Fu is talking about this stuff, like he talks about some forward looking things, but he also, anchors it back to like very practical things that you can do to become an AI driven company. And so I think it's just, it's really important that people understand, like you may be new to AI. Most people are, and he even talks about like single digits, like the adoption curve of AI within Mm -hmm. corporations, which I agree with. Like, I I do not think that we are very advanced in the adoption of AI at all. Um, but I, I think it's coming way faster than most business leaders think it is to the point where you're not going to have an option. Like AI is just going to be infused into everything in the next few years. And most companies just are not ready for it. So I, I, I know you highlight a few of the things that he identified as like, what is an AI, what do you have to do to become an AI driven company? And I right. Think yeah. Helpful. I think that that's a really interesting point is that him leading into this interview, talking about this next golden age of investment in AI development, but then he readily admits that, yeah, you said it's a single digit percentage of people that are fully using AI to the extent they should. And then you have to look at that and say, oh my gosh, like almost nine out of 10, if not more of the businesses and leaders and marketers listening are not remotely close to using AI as much as they should, if at all. So then he brings it down to earth and says, okay, so what does it actually mean to be an AI-driven company? What do you do? And it's very intelligent and unsexy steps. It's, uh, he says, first, you have to become data-driven. Um, without data, you simply cannot do anything with artificial intelligence, whether that's internal data or you're using a language model, for instance, that relies on billions and billions of parameters. So his first out of the gate advice is you need to invest in digitizing every single thing you can digitize at your company or find out how it can be. Um, I love he really brings up the point that data and data storage is no longer a cost center. You cannot think of it that way. It is, in fact, your most valuable asset. A huge mindset shift is required before you even start using artificial intelligence. And then from there, honestly, I think his advice really echoes a lot of the things we tell audiences, um, students of our AI Academy, um, consulting opportunities, is look for this low-hanging fruit. Look for things that drive cost savings to begin with. I mean, you don't have to necessarily from day one transform every single thing you do to become some futuristic AI organization, though the long view is important. Look for things that just take people a long time to do and look for things that machines can do in a faster fashion. I mean, and that can include making decisions. I mean, um, we always talk we, with so many business leaders about, you know, find 
a practical use case that take that's repetitive, that's data-driven, and that might be making a prediction, you probably have a really good initial use case for artificial intelligence. Yeah, I think that's the key. And, you know, I, I always love when we read this stuff from these people that we have such respect for, and they're, they're echoing what we're advising people. And yeah. Andrew Ng's same way, like, and so much of our thinking is formed through the years of how these leaders and researchers and entrepreneurs talked about AI. And I think that's the key is like that intelligent automation, the cost reduction, the efficiency drivers from every report we've read in the last like five, six years, mm -hmm. that's the starting point. Like you can do the big thing. You say, oh, we're going to become an AI driven company, AI first company. And that's fine. You, you probably should. It's going to take years. And it is like your data, your business intelligence, your decision-making, your staffing, those are all big things. And they're going to take a while to play out. But you can start with intelligent automation of a repetitive task now, and it might be something that saves you 20 hours a month or 100 hours a month or 1,000 hours a month, depending on the business and you know how often you do it. But that's a very tangible starting point. And the other thing he talks about is like these, this idea of the, for the leadership team, like vivid working examples. Mm -hmm. Five years ago, if a, if a CEO came to us and said, well, show me AI, like I don't, I don't get it it would be hard to show. Like you would have had to have gone and find like something within IBM Watson where you can analyze a data set or something that wasn't right, super right. tangible. Now it's like, well, let me pull up Dolly. Let me pull up character.ai. Let me pull up this, like the AI test kitchen from Google. I just got my beta access. I didn't even tell you this. I got my <laughs> access this morning to the AI test nice. kitchen from Google. It's like, I can, I can show you a dozen examples right now. And most yep. of them either cost you nothing or less than 50 bucks a month to use. So now all of a sudden AI has become super tangible. I think like my, my working theory of why we're hitting this tipping point with AI mm. is because it's gotten so good so fast that the cost of creating AI technology has dramatically lowered to where you can create this very practical use case technology for very affordable rates or free that people can actually see and experience the AI. And that is, we did not have that three to five years ago. And now it's so readily available and in everything from your iPhone to you know, Adobe to all the tools you're using as a consumer, it's just everywhere. So it's much easier to explain AI to people and show them it at work. Yeah, it's, I've noticed, and we've definitely capitalized on this. It's much easier in front of say an audience or, you know, a workshop to get people nodding along and saying, oh, this is actually important technology. When you show them, oh, this text prompt I just typed into Dolly too invalidates the need for me to be an artist to create the image, the beautiful image that the machine just created based on my idea. I mean, just seeing this stuff, regardless if they don't, if they glaze over at the technical terms or it seems too far away, I think the last 12 months has been a game changer with some of this. And that's like for us, like we do consulting and we run workshops on this stuff. So like our piloting AI workshop, that's the basic premise is you get the different people in the room and we talk about what are the things you spend a bunch of time doing that are repetitive, that are data-driven. Mm -hmm. And you can actually create this very tangible list of like, well, here's 25 things that we spend more than 25 hours a month each on. And some of these are purely repetitive. There's no reason a machine shouldn't be doing this. And that's how you start to prioritize use cases. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it's, it's just becoming easier to sit down and have those conversations very quickly. I mean, for us, like we'll sit down for like three, four hours with a group. And you can walk away with dozens of ideas and then it's just like, well, which one do we start with? So again, I think three, four years ago, AI was a big thing that probably cost a bunch more money and needed a bunch of structuring of the data. And there weren't a ton of logical use cases you could start with tomorrow. 
And anytime you or I do a talk or we want to work workshop, it's like, no, we can have you using AI tonight. Like it's, mm-hmm. this yeah. isn't that hard. Like here's some starting points if you just want to go experience it. And we just, we couldn't do that before. Absolutely. And I think that's a good transition into our third topic and final topic of the podcast today, which really shows you what is possible here. And so Meta, formerly Facebook, recently released um, an AI system that will take text prompts and turn them into full uh, machine-generated video clips. So where something like Dolly 2, you type in, draw me a picture of a horse drinking water, make a video, will take the same prompt and actually create a realistic looking video or a video in whatever style you choose that is moving. It's an image. It's a video clip of a horse drinking water. So this isn't publicly available yet like Dolly 2 is, that they do state that their intention is to release it, I believe commercially, but it shows how quickly we've gone from overall good language models that can now understand human language and understand the connections between objects to breathtaking static art to incredible video generated simply from a text prompt. And I mean, this is, it's just mind blowing to see. I'd highly recommend everyone look up, you know, Meta's uh, make a video and just even take a look at some of the sample clips they have here. And it's just jaw dropping that I don't think we would have even been considering this to be possible a few years ago. Yeah. And I, I think like, so at a high level, like one, you could look at the make a video and be like, yeah, it's okay. Like video is not great. Like that's not cinema quality video. That's not the point. Right. <laughs> Just, right. Again, assume whatever you're seeing is probably 12 months behind where they are. So, you know, what's coming is probably the key here. The, the thing to know is this is sort of like, um, you hear about prompt engineering is a term mm-hmm. that was, we, we heard at our conference this year a lot. It's this idea of giving the machine a prompt. So in this case, it's text to video. So you're prompting it with text of what you want it to create, and it's generating a video. It's the same thing with Dolly 2 and Mid Journey and Stable Diffusion and all these image generation technologies where you're giving it a prompt. So human language, a text to say, create this image that looks like this, that is in this environment, that's in this style, and it creates it. What's happening is we're moving towards this text to everything environment where we're going to be able to prompt the machine to create anything we can imagine. So right now it's images and videos, but in the future, it's going to move to all kinds of things. And as the language models that are the underlying thing enabling a lot of this get better and better, the machine starts to really understand what it is you're asking. So we were talking about it as a team yesterday, we were in a team meeting, brought this up, um, is think about like Google searching. Like for those of us old enough, used to have to do Boolean searches. Like if I wanted to find something at the library or in the early days of the internet, I have to like, and, or like, I had to be really, really good at trying to tell the machine exactly what I wanted. And the results kind of were, you know, sucked a lot of times because I just wasn't understanding it. Then Google comes along and builds a smarter search engine. Now think about like how good that search engine is when you ask it something or put in a few words Mm -hmm. and how it can predict what it is you actually want because it's understanding the context of what you're asking. It knows where you are, where you've been, what you've searched before, what you've bought. Like it can factor all of these things in and say, oh, Mike is actually looking for this. And it can confidently give you like the number one result that's that thing. 
Now apply that to image generation, language generation, business plan generation, mm. presentation, anything you can imagine creating and say, well, what if the machine could create those things? And all I had to do was give it a prompt with my voice or with text. And it understands me like the search engine does. Like it's so good at understanding what I'm asking that I don't even have to be that good at prompting it or like mm. tuning that prompt, adapting the prompt to like be evolved. And that's the, the key takeaway for me here is like, yeah, it's mind blowing what they're doing. Runway ML is another one to look at. They actually announced their text to video before Meta did, but they didn't come out with it yet, but they're teasing it real heavily. Uh, there's, we'll put all this in the show notes, but there's some really cool stuff with stable diffusion, the guy who created the stable diffusion model, um, and runway ML. But the key is you're going to hear a lot more about this and you're going to start seeing it infused into the language generation. So like, um, there's a few I've seen recently of these GPT-3 language generation tools, like the right AI writing tools, mm -hmm. where the image generation is connected to the language, like Go Charlie, didn't they do it? Yep. I, I don't think they're yeah. GPT-3. Um, HyperWrite is another one. So as you're writing, or the machine is writing for you, it'll actually automatically build images to go with the text you're writing. Not stock photos, it'll build images. It's basically taking the paragraph or the sentence from the blog post as a prompt for what image to build. And all you have to do is hit generate image. And so now imagine like you're writing a blog post paragraph by paragraph, just telling the machine, write the next paragraph. Now write me a paragraph on this, a paragraph on that. And as that's happening, an image is being generated to go with like that we're there. Like, I'm not talking about three years now, like that's yeah. what's happening right now within some of these tech companies. So I, I just think like, it's really important for people to realize we're not talking three to five years out. We are talking about stuff that is here right now. And it is, it is improving so quickly. <laughs> and so it's not like this whole idea of like text, anything may sound crazy to people, but I'm telling you, it's not <laughs> right. The people who are building this stuff are very, very confident that they are making major leaps and it's going to change everything for marketing, for sales, for customer service, for business. It's, it's a wild time. And again, Mike and I look at this stuff all day. And there's like, I'm getting to the point where there's like two or three times a week where I'm like, what? Like, yeah. That yeah. used to happen every two or three months. <laughs> yep. And now it's twice a week yeah. where I'm just like mind blown. Got to send it to Mike. Like, did you see this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talk, we'll probably talk about it on a future episode, but I, two hours ago, sent the team an AI tool that is now creating podcasts from synthetic voices from scratch. So I got to listen to a completely machine generated, completely a manufactured interview between Joe Rogan and Steve Jobs. I mean, it's jaw dropping. It's and then same this morning. So again, like twice of our wow moments in one yeah. day, I had characters.ai, mm, which was yeah. two top engineers from Google left who were working on their Lambda, Lambda language model, which we talked about earlier. And they went and built something that lets you have a chat conversation with any celebrity. So like, if I wanted to have a conversation with, I don't know, Tom Cruise, I was thinking about Top Gun earlier. So <laughs> I talked to Tom Cruise, I can interact chatbot wise with Tom Cruise, but it's actually just a language model that's trained on some data set to talk to me exactly how Tom Cruise would. I mean, it's, and, and you can just go in and create any character and it's completely synthetic and but it's very, very convincing. And then if you think about the, again, the, the impact for marketers, think about your chatbot right now hmm. and how bad it probably is at understanding the context of questions, answering in a you know, very real way, uh, engaging people in a unique voice. Like what if 
I'm saying, what if, like, I can guarantee you this is coming very fast. You can actually like, let's say I want a license to, um, I don't know, James Earl Jones. Like we just, they just did the, uh, the Vader one. Like I wanted that to be my brand voice on my, my site. Like I wanted my chatbot to interact with somebody like in his tone and style. Hmm. And he could, you could license that from him. Like he could, you know, give that away. And now I can actually like go in and interact with it. Like this is the kind of stuff that's going to happen. Like anything is possible. We can, we can create synthetic versions of anyone with today's tech. Uh, and as long as you license those rights away, like, or you create your own, like you think about all this money in the last like couple of decades that went into like, um, sonic branding. Is that, the, I think I'm using the right term around like, yeah, you yeah. wanted like a noise that people think about or a tone that they, people think about when they hear, you know, your brand. Um, what about like personalities within the conversational agents? Like, are you going to create that? Like, are you going to, from the ground up, build one that interacts with people in, in ways that you never imagined possible? Like you, you could totally do it. Like there's no obstacle to the tech enabling that right now or in the, in your CEO, like, should you replicate the CEO mm -hmm. and, and train it on a language model on your CEO's tone and voice? And so every interaction on your site is actually with a synthetic version of your CEO zero technical obstacles to doing that today. Right. Right. It's just whatever you can imagine is basically where we're at marketing. It's so crazy. Uh, and any, any one of these things, which could happen tomorrow, um, has the potential to just upend business as usual, which is why it's so important, no matter what area of business you're working in to start getting a handle on how this technology affects whatever your particular use cases or role looks like in a given day. Yeah. And so our, our plan moving forward again, like Mike and I talk about this stuff all the time, but again, it used to be like, yeah, once a month you catch up, whatever, like here's the two things that happened last month. And it literally is just like daily where we're just seeing stuff and I'm just, you got a running list of things we should probably talk about. Yeah. And so what with the plan now is like just each week, Mike and I are going to kind of get together and try and pick three things that caught our attention in a given week that we think are really interesting for people to hear. So, you know, if, if this kind of stuff's interesting to you, make sure to, you know, subscribe and stay in tune with what's going on. We publish summaries on the blog post each week. So you can check out that and we'll have show notes in there and timestamps. And then Mike's actually going to start taking each of the topics and spinning off a, a post to kind of going a little deeper on each of the topics. So, yeah, I mean, if this kind of stuff is interesting to you we hope you, uh, you know, join us on this journey because it's, it's getting wild. <laughs> it really is. Uh, anything else you want to cover today, Mike? No, I think that's it. I mean, I'm sure three or four other things have happened while we've been recording this. So we'll, we'll have to get caught up on that. Yeah. All right. So thank you um, for being with us. Like I said, be sure to subscribe. It's on any of your favorite podcast apps and networks. Uh, and also head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. We've got a weekly newsletter. We've got free webinars, online courses, AI courses. Um, and obviously the marketing ad book, if you haven't grabbed that, grab a copy of that. And we'd love to hear your feedback once you've had a chance to read it. But uh, other than that, until next time, stay curious and explore AI. Thanks for listening to the Marketing AI Show. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you're ready to continue your learning, head over to marketingaiinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, check out our free monthly webinars, and explore dozens of online courses and professional certifications. Until next time, stay curious and explore AI.